WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts, and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at Ravinia.org. This is Reset. I'm Jen White. It's Friday, and that means it's time for our Friday News Roundup when we break down the biggest news of the week. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot says police officers caught on tape lounging in Congressman Bobby Rush's campaign office on the city's south side during recent looting and vandalism should be punished as harshly as possible. If you sleep during a riot, what do you do on a regular shift when there's no riot? Governor Pritzker says the state is on track to move to phase four of his five-phase reopening plan come June 26th. We are projecting that the 2020 budget shortfall will be close to $700 million. Joining us now to break down those stories and more, WTTW Chicago politics reporter Heather Sharon. Hey, Heather. Hey, Jen. And also with us, WTTW political correspondent and host, Paris Schatz. Paris, welcome back. Hey, Jen. So, big news broke yesterday. Congressman Bobby Rush of Chicago revealed the existence of a video that shows a group of Chicago police officers in his burglarized offices while nearby businesses were being looted. Let's take a listen. We looked at the video tape and we saw eight or more police officers, including... Three white shirts in repose, relaxing during these most difficult times. Paris, how did this video surface? Um, well, it's uh, Congressman Rush had first reviewed it and then had brought it, uh, as I understand, to the city to Mayor Lightfoot, and uh, and then they had that press conference yesterday, which was so interesting because Congressman Rush was morally opposed to Mayor Lori Lightfoot saying something to the uh, effect of, if you vote for Lightfoot, you'll have the blood of young children on your hands. And somehow they had a political reconciliation over this video of 13 officers lounging in his office as a riot went on in the mall in the Fuller Park area where his office resides. So there's a lot to unpack here, uh, Jen. You know, Mayor Lightfoot was livid, but there's also the issue of Mayor Lightfoot versus the FOP, uh, which does not have a contract, and it's like she kind of used this to say, "Hey, you know, I've I've got the high ground now. You know, y- your cops were not performing." And then FOP President John Cantera said, "All right, you know, maybe it was a little bit of misconduct, but you you know, you're making a big show of this." Well, Mayor Lightfoot made no bones about how she felt. Let's hear a clip of her. Let me lead by apologizing to you again on behalf of our city. You and your office were treated with such profound disrespect. That's a personal embarrassment to me. 
Heather, we should note that at least three supervisors were also seen in this video. How is CPD responding? Well, they have vowed to identify the officers. It's been about 24 hours since uh, this bombshell press conference, and we have not heard that any of the officers have yet been identified. Uh, the other thing I think it's important to mention is that this is just the latest uh allegation of misconduct by the officers during this incredibly violent period um, that featured not only protests, not only widespread looting, but, you know, also a significant number of murders across the city. 18 people were killed on the day that this video was taken. And it comes after the mayor has taken great pains to praise officers for uh, showing restraint in the face of protesters who called them names and, and sort of threw uh, objects at them. And it, it really um, sort of, uh, you know, is an additional question about the conduct of the Chicago Police Department. Um, and it comes after allegations that officers struck Police Board President Gian Foreman, uh, as reported by WTTW first, and also covered up their nameplates and their badge numbers in an attempt to conceal their identity from protesters. So, uh, you know, when Mayor Lightfoot said it was a personal embarrassment to her, um, I, I think that she really felt that because she had taken a great deal of criticism for uh, supporting the police in, the, in these last very difficult weeks. And yet, you know what, consider... Consider the fact that there's been this narrative among West and Southside aldermen that Mayor Lightfoot and the police superintendent protected downtown with the National Guard um, at the expense of the neighborhoods when the worst property damage happened. And I, I think she rejects that narrative, but yesterday was maybe a chance to, to change that narrative and say, no, I mean, we have police resources in, in the neighborhoods. And look, you have 13 police officers here, and they're not doing their jobs. And anecdotally... We've heard in every neighborhood that the looting was allowed to happen, that, that police officers stood down. I, I personally, you know, witnessed looting. I went to a nearby police officer. I said, hey, I just FYI, they're looting this store over here. And the police officer said, well, yeah, you know, there's really nothing we can do. It's going on everywhere. Well, the mayor is seizing this opportunity to push for legislation that would require police officers pardon me, to be licensed by the state. Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul originally floated this idea during his time as a state senator. Let's hear from him. It's done for lawyers. It's done for physicians, for pharmacists, for hairdressers even. We license them. And if they have an egregious act of professional misconduct or a pattern of such, they can have their license taken away such that they cannot participate in that profession anymore. So Illinois would not be the first state to do this, but Paris, talk about uh, this idea from Kwame Raoul and now that Mayor Lightfoot is behind it, whether or not it's really getting traction. You know, I, I think the idea hasn't been fleshed out a hundred percent, you know, in terms of what the process is going to be, whether, whether, you know, uh, how that's going to work with an FOP contract. And obviously, the FOP president says that they want licensing as a way to get around the processes that are in place right now to protect police officers from being fired or to protect protect them from liability, you know, if something happens on the job. So, I, I, uh, Heather, maybe you know better than me. I, I don't know what kind of traction it has. I mean, in, in public opinion, sure. I think, I think the public uh, would be majority in favor of something like this, but there's just so much to work out. Heather, your thoughts? 
I, I think Paris is exactly right. The biggest obstacle we have been told over and over again by police reform advocates is the contract between the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge 7 and the city of Chicago. Now, that contract expired three years ago, and the fact that there have not been a significant move toward putting new rules in place to hold officers accountable for misconducts, I think should show everybody how difficult these issues is. And then, you know, people will point to the consent decree, which requires the police department to reform or face federal sanctions from a federal judge. Um, but even that consent decree acknowledges that it cannot override the police union's contract. So until that contract is resolved, and we are very far away from that, as you heard what the police union president said about the conduct of the officers in Congressman Rush's office, I, I, that is really where these issues have to be decided. And beyond that, issues of licensing and other reforms are, are really just sort of working at the margins of these fundamental issues. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. When we break down some of the biggest news of the week, our panel today includes Heather Sharon and Paris Schutz of WTTW. I want to talk about the city's finances. Mayor Lightfoot says Chicago is facing a $700 million shortfall because of the ongoing pandemic. Let's take a listen. What we have seen is a complete change in consumer behavior as a result of COVID-19, the stay-at-home order, and other things that have affected the way in which people are consuming goods and services. Heather, how did she get to that $700 million number? Well, we really don't know. Um, what we do know is that the city has suffered a loss of $175 million of tax revenue in March and April, and that that continued into May. So it's clear that that's just the city's best estimate at this point, and the mayor said it was a conservative estimate at this point. So it could be a little bit better, or it could be significantly worse as we go forward through the months. Um, it's also important to note that that is a deficit for the current fiscal year of the city of Chicago. Uh, the budget for 2021, which you know, we usually start getting details about in late July or early August, um, is already facing a, a deficit of a, approximately a billion dollars because of the city's pension debt and because of new state laws that require the city to ramp up their pension contributions. So it is really impossible to overstate the financial crisis facing the city at this point. And it's why you heard Mayor Lightfoot say that she could not promise that there wouldn't be property tax hikes, even though, uh, you know, politicians in Chicago would would literally rather do anything else than take another a vote uh, along those lines. Well, Paris, the city's financial problems didn't start with the pandemic. It certainly didn't help. And even beyond the pension issue, there's some history here around Chicago's economic health leading up to this moment. Share some of that context with us. Well, I mean, the, the mayor said that there was an 830-some-odd million-dollar budget gap that she closed already for this year. So now you put that $700 million on top of that. I mean, it's a massive number out of a budget that, depending on how you calculate it, it runs around 10 or $11 billion. Um, so, yeah, and this consider the biggest property tax hike um, in in recent memory uh, instituted by Mayor Emanuel. That was 500, just under $600 million over four or five years. I mean, so how are you going to raise property taxes enough 
to uh, cover the hole that exists right now and look at all the other revenue being lost. McCormick Place, trade shows uh, up in, uh, and leaving town, hotel tax, amusement tax. It's a spiral, and the economy is going to be slow for a while. I mean, at least until there's a vaccine, Chicago's not going to be able to rely on the re- revenues that it normally does until people feel comfortable fully going back to their normal day-to-day lives. Heather, how is Mayor Lightfoot planning to address the budget deficit? As you said, a property tax hike isn't off the table, but what is she reaching for first? Well, first, the city is going to rely on about $100 million in savings that it realized earlier this year when they refinanced almost uh, almost $1.5 billion in city debt. Um, and the mayor has said that they are exploring refinancing more debt. However, the stock market is down and that makes it a little bit more difficult to sort of realize any savings by refinancing debt. So that's not an easy solution. Uh, she's also asked departments to put hiring decisions sort of on hold or slow them down. And she's asked departments to come up with cuts that they, that they can make. Um you know, but there's was not a whole lot of uh, fat left in the city budget. This is uh, comes after, you know, as Paris said, a really tough budget year um, to begin with. And so there's there really are no easy answers. Uh, and the city really cannot borrow more money. The city is already highly leveraged. So that is not a solution either. And as uh, you know, when I tell, you know, people about covering city budgets, it's it's not rocket science. You really have three options. You can either raise revenue, you can cut spending, or you can borrow. And the city has really exhausted borrowing and cutting. uh, So there are not easy answers left. Well, Paris, the state of Illinois is also facing a very difficult budget year due to the pandemic, largely. Uh, Governor Pritzker signed a $42.9 billion maintenance budget that relies heavily on federal aid and borrowing. What can you tell us about the pandemic's impact on Illinois' finances? Well, Illinois' finances were already uh, in deep trouble to begin with, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist, as Heather mentioned, to say this makes it much, much worse, and they're relying on, um, you know, no interest uh, lending from the federal treasury uh, to help uh, get them through this year, but they're going to have to pay that back in pretty short order. And, you know, all municipalities and states are begging for another rescue package from Congress. Um, really, they don't have any other answers. I mean, they need more federal funding to make up for the lost revenue uh, because of COVID. I mean, they've gotten money to, to, to make up for what they've spent on COVID. Uh, but now they, they need federal money to make up for the lost revenue. And, and it still hasn't moved in Congress. It doesn't seem to have bipartisan support yet. Well, Chicago will receive $1.1 billion in federal CARES Act funding to deal with coronavirus-related expenses. Heather, how is the city allocating those funds? Well, that money will be used to reimburse the city for things that it did to respond to the height of the pandemic, including renting hotel rooms for uh, people without homes to shelter in. Uh, it will also cover the cost of standing up that uh, uh, field hospital at McC- McCormick Place, which was ultimately not used. Um, 
they the city has said that they will keep 40 million dollars in reserve to be used in the case of another surge in cases either late this summer or early in the fall uh, which remains a real possibility as we start to see things starting to open up another 20 million dollars will go to be used to create another round of housing assistance grants for those struggling to pay their rent and their mortgage in the wake of losing their job because of the coronavirus pandemic however um it's not clear whether that 20 million dollars uh would be enough to really fill the need um for people facing the prospect of eviction once the city's uh or the state's ban on eviction is lifted, which most people expect to happen when the state moves into the fourth phase of reopening, which could be as soon as the end of this month. Well, Paris, Republican state senators are are urging Governor Pritzker to move the state to the next phase of his pandemic reopening plan earlier than he initially planned. What can you tell us about that? Well, I can tell you that it doesn't look like it's going to move Governor Pritzker to do that. I mean, he said repeatedly he's focusing on the metrics. Um, but yeah, I mean, Republican senators, especially in downstate areas that have not been hit very hard, hard, don't, you know, understand why can't we have indoor, uh, dining? Why can't we have gatherings beyond 10 people, uh, or 50 people? But Pritzker has held pretty firm to the notion that we're going to follow the CDC guidelines. We're going to follow the data. And, you know, there was that ProPublica report out, uh, a week and a half or two weeks ago saying that Illinois was the only state that met all five uh, CDC criteria for reopening. And despite that, the governor's still not expediting the schedule. Uh, Now, consider the fact that in other states around the country, you're seeing those cases go up again. And I think that's the nightmare of many governors, that they've done all this work, spent all this money, uh, the economy's taken a big hit, only to see the curve start to go up again. I mean, it took so long to bend Illinois' curve And everyone's on pins and needles right now seeing what this phase of reopening is going to do to that curve. And then you add in the rallies and the protests. So far, um, it it has not caused that curve to go back up. But, you know, there's a lag time here and everybody's just kind of waiting to see what happens. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. When we break down the week's top stories, our panel today includes Heather Sharon and Paris Schutz of WTTW. I want to talk about the latest on COVID-19 in our region. There's so much news, it can, it can be easy to lose track of the fact that we are still in a pandemic. Yesterday, Illinois surpassed 130,000 confirmed cases of the virus. Heather, how are officials responding? So uh, Illinois is still trending downwards, and Paris was quite right when he said that there are 21 other states where cases are increasing. So Illinois right now is on track to move to that fourth um, phase, but there is still a great deal of this respiratory virus out there circulating. And I know I feel like a broken record on this show with you, Jen, but the pandemic has hit Black and Latino Illinoisans and Chicagoans much, much harder than white Chicagoans and white Illinoisans. Uh, 75% of all cases and all deaths are in those two communities. And, you know, I try to keep that in mind as we start to see things opening up that if there is an increase, that impact does not appear to, will not be sort of equally distributed um, among residents. Well, Paris, you've been spending time on the ground in the city's neighborhoods. What are you hearing from residents and business owners about how they're dealing with the pandemic? 
Well, right now we're hearing a lot about how they're dealing with uh, the events of the last couple weeks and, and police and community relations and how, um, you know, businesses have been hit by some property damage. You know, that exacerbates the troubles that they've had um, uh, being shut down for several months. So, so what we're hearing is that uh, in, in, in a lot of neighborhoods, anywhere from 25 to 30 percent of small businesses were not going to reopen after COVID-19 because of just the economic hit. Now you add in the property damage, um, and that number could be much higher. And I think a lot of business owners are, are, are waiting for more assistance funds. You know, there are private and public funds materializing to assist um, um, business owners. But then, you know, a lot of small business owners don't have insurance, like some of the chains have or some of the downtown retailers have. Or that insurance doesn't cover the kind of property damage that they sustained. It might cover arson and fire, you know, ironically. So if someone set fire to their building, they might they might be in a better position than if people just um, vandalized uh, or stole things. So especially in Chicago's uh, southwest side, it's a very tough time right now uh, for local business. And and but a, a lot of also what we've been hearing is, is, is about the fractured police community relations. Heather, how is the city aiding residents who don't qualify for federal assistance? Well, the city is partnering with the Resurrection Project to hand out $5 million in funds with the Open Society Foundation, raised by the Open Society Foundation, to those Chicagoans, which are probably about 300,000 people who didn't qualify for that federal stimulus check that a lot of us got, that $1,200 for individuals and $500 for children. And that fund, which opens on June 22nd, will um, make $1,000 grants to people who didn't get that federal assistance. And it's really part of the city's commitment to help the undocumented population in Chicago that weren't, uh, wasn't eligible for it. And neither were mixed status families where one, one person was a citizen and the other person isn't. They also weren't eligible for it, as well as college students and other adults claimed as dependents. Um, so it's really sort of trying to fill that gap but that five million dollars is it's really a, a drop in the bucket with 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 the need that's out there uh and uh there's just a lot of fear that it's not going to be enough to stave off either a wave of evictions or more people falling uh in in below that poverty line and really sort of making it even harder for the businesses that paris has done such great work talking to um to sort of have people be financially able to go back to shop anywhere close to the way that they used to. Well, this is one of those times it feels strange to ask what you're watching because there's so much happening at the same time right now. We, we have a possible resurgence of COVID-19 in the fall. Parrish, you, you mentioned the fractured relationship yeah. between police and community. But I'll come to you first. What are you watching? What are the big questions you're trying to get answered right now? God, there's so everything's a big question, Jen. But I'll, I'll I'll speak to this whole notion of defund the police because this is something you're hearing a lot in Chicago and around the country, and it sounds like a pretty scary slogan. Except we've talked to police officers and first responders uh, who say that there are certain calls that we should not be on. We get so many calls that are domestic disputes or calls that involve people with mental illness, and we're not psychologists you know we're not the ones to be doing it we want to get back to policing 
And this is kind of the same thing that a lot of protesters are saying, that money for police departments should be diverted to social workers. And I think if people stopped the, the sloganeering, especially public officials, there's policy here that has common ground among police and among protesters where maybe you do divert some funds uh, to more social workers and you you don't have police or first responders do those calls. So I want to watch where this whole debate goes. Uh, it's not going away. Mary Light- Mayor Lightfoot said, no, we're not going to defund the police. And aldermen say, no, we can't do that because we, we have really um, high homicide numbers and we don't want those to go any higher. But don't think the discussion is going to go away that easily. And from you, Heather, we've got a little less than a minute here. Well, the city council meets on Wednesday again virtually, and I think we're going to see a little bit of a skirmish in that defund the police movement over whether to approve Mayor Lightfoot's plan for that $1.1 billion from the federal government that we talked about earlier. Uh, Socialist aldermen want commitments that those funds won't be used to reimburse the police department for overtime that they incurred enforcing the stay-at-home order. Uh, The mayor's administration has declined to do so, so we're going to see, I think, a little bit of fireworks uh, to Paris's point as people start to define what actually that could mean for going forward. That's WTTW politics reporter Heather Sharon and WTTW political correspondent and host Paris Schutz. Heather Paris, it's been great talking to you. Thanks. Jen, we're going to miss you. It's been great doing this. Congratulations. Thanks so much, Jen. Best of luck. And that's it for today's Reset. And actually, that's it for Reset for me. Today is my final podcast. I'm headed to D.C. to be the new host of 1A. I want you to know how much I've enjoyed spending time with you in your car, your kitchen, your headphones. And you'll still be able to hear me on WBEZ or wherever you listen to NPR. But don't unsubscribe from this podcast. Reset will go on and the show will continue to bring you thoughtful, fact-filled and even funny conversations about the most important news, arts and culture affecting you, your neighborhood and your world. This podcast is produced by Jason Mark and Reset is produced by Meha Ahmad, Steve Bynum, Stephanie Kim, Jason Mark, Bianca Martin, Nareda Moreno, Alize Hassan and Zach Wilson. Reset's executive producer is Dan Tucker. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And we will talk again. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.